Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. Our scripture reading is going to come from verses eight through eleven. If you open to Second Peter one, just leave your Bible open to that passage because our lesson will be from this passage as well. Second Peter chapter one, beginning in verse eight. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm glad that you've joined us this evening. Just a couple of things as we get started. Um, I was in the middle of a sermon series when we had to start not meeting together at the building. And so I suspended that for a couple of weeks. And I thought this week, this would be a good time to start that again. We were in the middle of a series on, can we know that we're saved? And this is the third lesson in that series. There will be two more after tonight, Lord willing. And so we're going to begin uh, in just a moment with that. There have been a lot of people that I know I've heard from, I know others have as well, that have been tuning into our broadcasts um, or tuning in and watching recordings of, of the lessons and the Bible classes that have been offered. One of the things I've noticed in the time that we've had to be quarantined in our homes is that there's been something of a renewed interest in a lot of people's lives in spiritual matters. There are a lot of people looking for hope. There are a lot of people looking for comfort. There are a lot of people looking to the promises of God. And one of the best things we can do as Christians is pray for better and more opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who need to hear it. And so if you are one of our guests that's tuning in tonight, we're so glad that you're with us. And we hope that you'll search the scriptures and that you'll find as you look into the scriptures, the will of God for your life. We wanna help you with that if we can. I just want to say on a personal note, I, I appreciate that the pictures of all of the congregation here have been put on the pews. They're still here. I really appreciate that and the ladies that did that. Um, I really miss all of you. I, I genuinely, it's, it's hard to come to an empty building each week. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, we need to do anything dangerous or anything like that. But, but it's something that I know all of us long to do is to come back together and to worship together. And I've been thinking more and more as the weeks go on, one of the favorite things that I'm looking forward to is singing together. Uh, maybe we need to just schedule when, when the time is right and when we're all back together meeting in person, we need to schedule some, some singing services where that's mostly what we do uh, because I've missed that as much as anything else. The singing of praises to God and the worship of Him together, um, those things we long for. And I hear you saying the same kinds of things. And so be prayerful about those things, even to the day when we're able to be reunited. Don't forget that at eight o'clock every night as a congregation, we're stopping and we're praying together with our families. We're praying for a speedy end to this difficult hour. And we're praying that not only will God bring an end to this, but that there'll be opportunities for his kingdom to increase through all this. So make sure that you're praying together with the church here, eight o'clock every night. We're all stopping what we're doing and we're spending some time in prayer. Can we know we're saved? That's a very valid and very important biblical question. There are a lot of passages that you could turn to to answer that question, and I want to bring your attention tonight to 2 Peter chapter 1. 
And I want you to notice the verses we just read a moment ago, beginning in verse 8. When you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, Peter is saying things about some virtues. He's saying that there are some virtues that we need to be adding to our lives. Specifically, if you look at verses 5 through 7, you'll notice that there are seven virtues that need to be added to our lives. Beginning in verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge, add to your knowledge self-control, to self-control godliness or steadfastness and perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness add love. Now keep those in mind, that list in mind, because what Peter has to say right after this is going to directly relate to those seven qualities, and we're going to explain them more in detail in just a moment. Can I know I'm saved? Here's what Peter says. Look at verse 8. Keep those virtues in mind. In verse 8, he says, for if these qualities, what qualities? Virtue, self-control, knowledge, those things. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter says, you focus on these seven virtues, these seven qualities, and they're going to help you to be effective in your service to the Lord and in your knowledge of him. Not only that, but look at verse 9. In 2 Peter 1 verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities, what qualities, Peter? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So if we're not paying attention to these qualities, these virtues, there are some negative things happening in our lives, Peter says. Look at verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, what qualities? Knowledge and perseverance and self-control and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But wait, there's more. As you look at verse 12 in 2 Peter chapter 1, therefore I intend, Peter says, always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter really wanted people to pay attention to these seven qualities. And he really wanted them to know that these seven qualities have a vital part in our lives as Christians. Look at verse 15 of the same chapter. He says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, when I die, Peter says, that you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter really wanted people to focus on these seven qualities. They're sometimes called the Christian graces. But I want you to look at all that is said about them in verses 8 through 15. Notice, these qualities that we're speaking about tonight, they keep you from being ineffective in the Lord's service, verse 8. Not only that, but they keep you from being unfruitful in the Lord's service. God wants us to bear fruit, and these qualities are an avenue to doing that. They keep our spiritual vision sharp. He says, if we lack these things, we're nearsighted to the point of blindness. You're so nearsighted that you can't even see. And not only that, in verse 9, these qualities will help keep you from forgetting some vital, some important truths, namely that you have been forgiven of your sins. 
You know, an experience teaches us that as Christians, when we're not really pursuing a relationship with God, we sometimes become really complacent about sin. And we might not really be examining ourselves as we ought to be. These qualities will help us to be sharp and attuned to sin in our lives. Notice as well, these qualities will keep you from falling or stumbling, depending on your translation in verse 10. And they will confirm your calling and election. Be diligent to keep your calling and election sure, he says in verse 10. These qualities should be remembered. I'm reminding you of these things. I know you know them, Peter says, but I'm going to remind you again. And I want you to know them so well that even after my departure, even after I'm deceased, that you still remember these things. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Make sure that those are the hallmark of your faith. The question is, can I know that I'm saved? Can I know that I'm in a right relationship with God? If you ask Peter that question, this is the answer Peter would give. Yes, you can know you're saved. Pay attention to these qualities. Pay attention to their implications for your life. Pursue these things. Give diligence, he says in verse 4. Add these things continually. All diligence, verse 5, to your life, to your faith. Make sure that you're pursuing these qualities. So with those things in mind, what I want us to do with our study tonight is two things. First, I want us to look at those seven virtues individually. I want us to look at what they mean and I'm gonna try and be as practical as I can. And at the same time, give us some food for thought. On the second part of our lesson, I want us to look at these collectively and consider some facts about the seven virtues, the seven Christian graces that we read in 2 Peter 1 verses five through seven. As you look at your Bible tonight, let's, let's notice these individually then, first of all. The qualities observed individually. As you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter says, For this reason, giving all diligence, that means doing your very, very best, add to your faith, first of all, virtue. The word virtue is the Greek word arete, and it means excellent. If a knife was really sharp, they would say it's an arete knife. If a horse was especially strong or fast or smart, they would say it's an arete horse. If somebody could sing beautifully, more beautifully than anybody else, they would say that singer is an arete singer. It means excellent. It means virtuous. It means something that stands out, outstanding. When you think about what virtue means for a Christian, what does it mean to add virtue to my faith? To put as practically as we can, we can say this, we are living in such a way that our faith is obvious to others. Do you have a faith like that? Do you have a faith that shows? I'm not talking about doing things to be seen of men. Jesus said, don't do that. Matthew chapter six, verses one through four. I'm not talking about being like a Pharisee and proudly parading your faith and looking down your nose at other people who don't believe or think or live the way that you do. But I am saying, and the Bible is teaching, that if we're going to add to our faith virtue, virtuous faith is a faith that shows. Do the people around you know that you serve and trust and lean on Jesus Christ? Do they know that he's the one in whom you hope? Do they know that you are making decisions based on the word and the will of God? 
when the apostles stood before the Jewish Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says that the Sanhedrin perceived that these men were unlearned. And the Bible says they realized that the apostles had been with Jesus. When we've been with Jesus, it shows. When we're really sincerely devoted to following him, it's obvious to others. Turn in your Bibles briefly to Philippians 2 and look at verses 15 and 16. Listen to what Paul writes to his brethren. In Philippians 2 verses 15 and 16, the scripture says, Philippians 2 beginning in verse 15, do all things without complaining and disputing, verse 14, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that I may, not, uh, that I may rejoice the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. We're supposed to shine. We're supposed to stand out. One of the things we need to do with our faith is add virtue to our faith. We need to ask ourselves, is there an area of my life where I'm kind of a closet Christian, where I'm not excellent, virtuous in the way that I serve and love my Lord? Back to 2 Peter chapter 1. Secondly, as we look at these individual qualities, the second one listed is knowledge, verse 5. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. The idea of knowledge has to do with knowing especially God and His truth. A lot of times it's easy to make decisions based on how I feel. How do I feel today? How do I feel about this question or this topic or this subject? How do I feel about the person that I'm having to make a decision about? And we make our decisions based on feeling rather than truth. When we add knowledge to our faith and our virtue, what we're doing is we're saying this, I am going to dedicate myself to reading the truth. I'm talking about the Bible. I am going to dedicate myself to agreeing with the truth. And I'm going to dedicate myself to remembering the truth. Because there's something about truth that undermines and countermands my feelings. I may feel one way, but the truth tells me to do something different. And because I'm adding knowledge constantly to my faith, the truth matters to me. Does it matter to you? Is it obvious by the way that you're living your life that truth really does make a difference? Could we tell by the way that you spend time in Scripture, by the way that you spend time remembering and talking about the words of God? The noble Bereans in Acts 17 verse 11 were more noble than those in Thessalonica because, the Bible says, they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether what they were hearing was true, was so. Are you like the noble Bereans? Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 32, If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed, John 8, 31, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Maybe one of the reasons why we're in bondage to sin and to things like anxiety and worry, maybe some of the reasons we're in bondage to those things is because there's not enough of the truth in our hearts. Give yourself to knowledge, Peter says. Apply it to your heart. Apply it to your life. Third, as you look at verse 6, add to knowledge self-control. Self-control. What does that have to do with? What does that mean? 
I am going as a Christian to say no to my desires in order to bear more fruit for the Lord. As practically as we can make it, I'm going to say no to the things that I want so that I can bear more fruit for the Lord. You think about an athlete that wants to compete in the Olympics. They train and they train and they train and they have to eat a certain diet. And even though they may want a brownie, they have to discipline themselves. They have to control themselves because they want to bear fruit in the Olympics. They want to be able to perform at the highest level and they want to be at their peak condition. And so they will deny themselves. They will control themselves and what they're eating or in how disciplined they're being in their training. They will do those things, say, no to themselves now so that they can bear fruit in another area later on. Maybe you and I need to think about our lives and ask, is my life out of control? Have, have, has technology taken over my life, for example? Is there some area of my life that I just, I get started and I wake in and I all of a sudden come to myself an hour, two hours later and I'm still, I'm still doing something that I never intended to spend the last two hours doing. Self-control. Can I say no to myself now, what I want to do, so that I can bear more fruit for the Lord? That's self-control. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, Paul uses self-control in the way that he evangelizes. He says that he's going to run as one who wants to win the race. He's going to box not as one who beats the air, but as one who wants to compete for the prize and win the crown. He says, I buffet my body so that I might not be disqualified after I've preached to others. There was self-control and Paul was constantly thinking about what areas do I need to say no to in my life so that I can win more souls to Christ, so that I can more effectively preach his word. We need that kind of self-control in our lives. Galatians 5.23 teaches that the fruit of the Spirit, among other things, is self-control. When I am led by the Spirit of God, when I'm following God's will, self-control is going to be increasing in my life. Peter says, give yourself to that. Number four, as you think about these individual qualities, perseverance or steadfastness. This is not just saying grin and bear it. When you look at 2 Peter 5, 1 verse 6, Peter is not saying, well, we're just going to have to muddle through. and We're just going to have to suffer and, and hope that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Rather, the word that's used for perseverance and steadfastness means that when I encounter difficulties, listen carefully, I will cling to the promises of God. I'm going to hold on to his words. I'm going to hold on to his promises because his promises are true. That's why we needed knowledge, by the way. Add to your faith virtue, your virtue knowledge, and these things kind of build on each other, one after the other. But we need steadfastness and perseverance, especially when times are tough. The psalmist said in Psalm 56, verse 3, when I am afraid... I will put my trust in you. I love that verse. I think about that verse all the time. When I am afraid, there are going to be occasions in our lives when, when fear captures us. But the psalmist says, when I'm afraid, I'm going to put my trust in you, O God. What's he doing? He's acknowledging the fear. Yeah, I'm afraid. But he's saying, I'm choosing to trust and hope in what God has promised. And he's promised he'll be with me. I put my trust in you. You think about other passages. 
Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. The Hebrews writer says, don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promise. The Hebrews writer said, look to the promises of God when you're having a hard time. Look to his words, look to his will, look to his precious assurances. Because that's how you find perseverance and steadfastness. Hold on to the faith that you've got. It needs to persevere because God's not going to fail to give exactly what he says. He's going to do what he's promised. What else do we need to add to our faith, Peter? He says in verse 6 and 7, we need to add to perseverance godliness. The word godliness is an interesting word. Practically speaking, what is godliness? We're going to say it this way. Godliness is being sensitive to God's presence, his will, and his holiness in all of our thoughts, words, and actions. That's godliness. We have a tendency to compartmentalize our lives. When we're at the church building, we act one way. But when we're at work, we act a different way. And when we're out having fun with friends, we might act a different way than either of those first two places. Godliness means that no matter where I am, I'm sensitive to the presence of God. He's with me. He's watching me. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20. Godliness means I'm sensitive to his presence. And not only that, I'm sensitive to his will. While I'm making plans for my life, while I'm looking for what I'm going to do next with my life, I'm sensitive to the fact that if the Lord wills, I may live and do this or that. James chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. And I'm sensitive to God's holiness. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm sensitive to the fact that I serve a holy God. I revere him. I love him. I am concerned about him. That's godliness. When that sensitivity is found in every area of my life, that's godliness. Paul told Timothy, a young preacher, that he ought to exercise himself unto godliness. He said, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, both the life that now is and is to come. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. He also says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. You think about what that means. If I am sensitive to God's will and presence and holiness and I'm content with the things that I have, the Bible says that's great gain. That's a blessing that not enough people experience because we're not applying ourselves to godliness. You think about godliness. James again rebukes his brethren and says, you're making all kinds of plans for the future and you don't know what your life's going to be like tomorrow. If you were really godly, you would say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. All of our plans are subject to change by the will of God. Godliness acknowledges that. Peter says, add godliness to your faith. Next, verse 7 of 2 Peter chapter 1, brotherly kindness. Peter says, add brotherly kindness to your godliness. 
Brotherly kindness is the Greek word phileo, a brotherly love. And what Peter means by brotherly kindness, listen carefully, is that I truly love my Christian family and it shows. Yes, you can have brotherly kindness for your friends. Yes, you can have brotherly kindness for people who are lost. That's not what Peter has in mind here. He is talking about the way we treat our brethren. He's talking about the way we treat the church. He's talking about the affection that we ought to feel and ought to be increasing for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I truly love my Christian family and it shows. It shows by the way I speak about them, by the way that I treat them, by the way that I show to them that I care about them. That's brotherly kindness. And that ought to be increasing in our lives, Peter says. It ought to be increasing in our faith. Turn over in your Bibles briefly to 1 John chapter 2 and look at verses 10 and 11. 1 John is about, can I know I'm saved? It's about answering that question. And in 1 John chapter 2 verse 10, John says, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If I'm really living for Jesus, it's going to show in the fact that I care about the church. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. In Acts 9, 36-39, we read about a lady named Tabitha. Her name translated means Dorcas. She was a lady who gave herself to caring for the church. She constantly provided for them. And when she passed away, they mourned and they wept because she meant so much to them and she had meant, and, and, and vice versa, she had cared about them. We need to have those kinds of relationships among the people of God. Galatians 6 verse 10 tells us as Christians that we ought to, we ought to do good to all, but especially, especially those of the household of faith. Brotherly kindness has to do with caring about my brethren in Christ, building friendships, building relationships with them. We're not talking about failing to evangelize. We're not talking about being self-centered as a congregation, but we are saying, and the Bible is saying, this is an essential element of my faith. And then number seven, love, verse seven, that's agape. You've heard about agape. It's the kind of self-giving love that doesn't think about the response of the one that you're giving it to. Practically speaking, if I'm going to add love to my faith, it looks this way. I am going to seek the highest good of others in practical, active ways. Listen carefully. Love is active. Love is practical. It's not just something that we say and don't really mean. It's not just rhetoric. Love is demonstrated in the way that we live our lives. And Peter is saying that we need to be adding consistently love to our lives, to our faith. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, the Bible says, let all that you do be done in love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses one through three, Anything we do, no matter how good, no matter how noble, no matter how generous, anything we do, if we lack love, it profits us nothing. In Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, Jesus makes the point that anybody can show love in practical, active ways to the people that are their friends, the people who love you. It's whether or not we show love even to our enemies 
that sets us apart as Christians, that helps us to look more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. These seven qualities, they have some very practical implications for our lives. Let's turn our attention secondly this evening to the qualities observed collectively. I want you to just look at that list, verses 5 through 7. As you look at that list and you look at those individual qualities, notice that when you put them all together, first of all, they present a portrait of Jesus himself. Add to your faith virtue. Do you think people knew that Jesus had faith in God? You think it was obvious? Add to your virtue knowledge. Did Jesus know the word of God? Did the truth guide him in everything? Add to your knowledge self-control. Did Jesus ever look like he was out of control or not in complete control of himself and his situation? Add to your self-control perseverance. When Jesus suffered, what did he do? He put his hope and his trust in the promises of God. To your perseverance, godliness. When Jesus lived on this earth, he showed a constant sense and awareness of God's presence and God's holiness and God's will in all that he did, even in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let not my will but yours be done. Matthew 26, 39. That's godliness. Brotherly kindness. Did Jesus love the people who served and were devoted to God? To brotherly kindness, love. Does Jesus love sinners? Does he love people who are lost? Does he love people who are unlovable? It's a perfect picture of him, isn't it, when you look at those seven qualities. Secondly, look at them collectively. They are avenues to truly knowing Christ. Don't just say that you know Jesus. Don't just make it a platitude. Look at verse 8. As you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Peter writes, If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of who? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends and brethren, these seven qualities are avenues to knowing Jesus better. Can I know I'm saved? Well, do you know Jesus? And don't just say yes before you ask yourself, are these qualities present in any shape or form in my life? Are they avenues to, they are avenues to knowing Jesus. Third, collectively, we will never master these qualities. You don't get to a level of Christianity where, okay, I've got virtue completely under control. Everybody knows about my faith, and I'm never tempted to hide it, and I'm never tempted to, to, to kind of push my faith under the, under the rug a little bit. Self-control got that completely mastered. Every part of my life is under control to the glory of God. Love, doing great at that. When you look at these seven virtues, one of the reasons why Peter wanted to remind, 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 remind his brethren about these things is because he knew that you're never going to master these things. Even Peter didn't. One of the neat things about reading about Peter's life is, though, that he grew in every one of these areas. From the time that he was called a fisherman to follow Jesus until the time that he was an elder in the church writing a book about false teachers, the book of 2 Peter, Peter had grown tremendously. How did he do that? by adding to his faith virtue, 
his virtue knowledge. By the way, Peter, speaking about virtue, is the one who at one point said, I don't know the Lord, remember? Our faith needs to show. If Peter's faith had had virtue at that particular point, he would have said, yes, I'm his disciple. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. Next, observing these things collectively, when these qualities abound and are increasing in our lives, they provide a practical assurance of salvation. It's not about what I feel. I don't have to answer the question, do I feel saved? I can point to, I can look at, I can ask myself about these seven virtues. And verse 10 says, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. A practical way to know, am I really saved? Well, do you have brotherly love? Is godliness a part of your life? Is self-control something that's evident in at least some, some aspect of your life? And then this, these qualities make great personal or family devotional lists. You know, it wouldn't be a bad thing for us individually to look at these seven qualities and those of you, I know there's a bunch of engineers that love spreadsheets and you love layouts and things like that. Make you a spreadsheet of these qualities and make you a system where, okay, this week I'm going to work on knowledge. I need to get back to reading God's word more. There are some things I need to read and I really need to agree with. Or I need to spend some time thinking about brotherly love and am I really showing in practical ways that I really do love my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or as a family, is our faith virtuous? Do the people that live around us know anything about us other than we're nice people? Do they know that we serve a risen Savior? Do they know that He's important to us and that we want to we wanna help other people know Him? Do they know that? Is our faith virtuous? These qualities are immensely practical. And when we spend time asking ourselves, can I see any of these in my life? And in what areas do I need to grow and increase? All of a sudden, the question, can I know I'm saved? I start to find the answer. Peter says, absolutely, you can know you're saved. You're never going to master these things. Don't look at these things and say, well, I don't have all seven in abundance, and so therefore I must not be saved. That's not the point. Do not misunderstand what's being said here. What Peter is saying is these things need to be part of your faith, and in the areas where you're lacking, give diligence, verse 5, to adding more and more of these things. So, you got a problem with godliness? You got a problem with self control? You got a problem with perseverance? Think about how you can pursue those things in a more practical way in your life in the week to come. Peter wants us to have assurance, he wants us to know that we're on the right path. And he's given us a tremendous list in order for us to assess and ask ourselves, am I truly in the faith? Self-examination, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Maybe you're not a Christian this evening and you're thinking about relationships and you really want to know Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, being fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. How do I do that? How do I start a relationship? How do I enter into a relationship with him? 
I want you to know, first of all, that Jesus did everything that needs to be done for that relationship to be possible. He's done the work. He lived and died for you. And he wants you more than anything else to come to him. So how do you do that? You need to listen to his gracious invitation. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. He's inviting you. Believe that he alone can save you. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Can't be saved by anybody else but Jesus. You need to believe that. Repent of your sins, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Peter writes about how these people had been cleansed from their former passions, from their former sins, from their former uncleanness. They were living a certain way, but when they became Christians and obeyed the truth, obeyed the gospel, they started to live another way, a different way. They repented. Confess the name of Jesus, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, and participate in the new birth of baptism, John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus said baptism is a new birth. It's starting again in the Lord's kingdom. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter his kingdom. And so Jesus makes that a qualification, a quality of entering a relationship with him. If we can help you by talking with you, we'd love that opportunity. Send an email to us. Email addresses are on the screen, behind, uh, the screen that you're looking at. It's, it's behind me here in the auditorium, but it's, it's right next to you on the screen. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to visit with you more about these matters.